Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Hey, Chief, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. So we're curious, you know, let's get right into it, but we're, we're curious about your path in the fire service and how you got to be the fire chief at the colony. Because, you know, the colony's a place that I think both Craig and I, I mean, that, that's like, that would be a dream place to work, right? You know, like the focus is on training. And that only starts with, I think it starts at the top, you know, with the chief putting people in place to kind of run with the game plan. Yeah, there's not too many destination departments, and the colony is definitely one of yeah. them. Yeah, so so, how'd you end up there? Sure, well, it's all I've ever wanted to do. When I got out of high school, I went to uh, Texas A&M University, uh, went to fire school there, and completed it in October of 1981, became a volunteer while I finished uh, going to school there. I uh, ended up going to North Texas and got a degree in emergency management and started my uh, career, uh, paid career, in, in 1986, January of 86, with Plano, Texas. Stayed there uh, just under 10 years and uh, went to Arlington as their one and only outside training chief. I, I kind of always look for challenges. I, I don't do well in places where it gets stagnant. So I went to Arlington, which is a much larger department. They were 16 stations at the time. I was there about a year, and I got recruited to go to uh, – Athens, Texas, to be the fire chief of beautiful East Texas. Small department, my first fire chief gig. I was I was probably too young at the time. Um, stayed there about four years. It got recruited to come back to the Metroplex to a department called Lake Cities to take them from uh, volunteer to career. They're right next to Louisville. I was there for a few years, and then one of my um, one of my friends and, and mentors, Rick Lasky, came to Louisville, and we were having coffee one morning, and he asked me if I wanted to be his training chief, so I actually went from fire chief to division chief of training and stayed in Louisville for, for about 10 years and was going to retire to, to write a book. And the colony job opened up, which is right next door to Louisville. We're about 17 uh, miles from Love Field and 17 miles from DFW next to Plano and Frisco. And uh, so I thought I'd try the, the chief gig again and uh, been here now 10 years and it's it's been great. And so uh, plan on doing 40 years and, and uh, retiring. You had mentioned that that ten year mark, and in that time, to my understanding, no one has left, which I think right it's now almost unheard of. Well, especially right now, there seems like there's this morale problem and, and the ability to transfer or leave the fire service in general, and yet you've created a environment where no one wants to leave, even though there are departments that are around you that are given more money, more you know more benefits, things like that. People stay with you. Why is that? Sure, uh, and, and you're exactly right. We did something called the Colony Project where we looked at that to try to identify exactly what it was. I'm a big culture person. I believe in, in what I say, managing the culture, culture daily. And, you know, we have a saying here, we let, we let firefighters be firefighters, and it's really that simple. When people come to our organization, when, when we recruit, we get a lot of people who actually take a cut and pay and a cut in seniority to come to the organization. And it's certainly not me. I mean, it's our company officers, our battalion chiefs. My ops chief is awesome. But they love quality daily training. 
they really prefer the engine and truck company deployment model, which we switched to several years ago away from the quaint concept. Uh, they like the fact that we respect the good traditions of the fire service. And generally, they just like the the way we, we do things. Um, we don't create a lot of busy work. Like I say, we, we train a lot, expect the guys to be fire ready all the time. We, we still deliver, you know, high level advanced EMS. But but I think it's it's the, the culture and the subcultures. And uh, I, I think that the guys just like kind of what we represent. We let them do their thing. And when you let firemen be firemen, they'll do great things. And, and like I say, I got great company officers. Uh, great shift commanders, and they're the ones who really, you know, make it happen day to day. You know, one thing with your morale being so high, what I see from a lot of members, even uh, like your battalion chief, Garrett Rice, who also came on this podcast, I mean, a lot of the focus is on the training, you know, the the realistic training that the colony provides, sending its members out, uh, promoting more or less just like getting your guys out to teach, kind of spread the poison, so to speak. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. I, I think that's got a lot that uh, contributes to the morale, too, wouldn't you say? I think what's interesting about the colony, or it seems that way, is that every department says that they train a lot. But it's, what is that training? Is it target solutions? Is it, hey, we're going to train on things that aren't making us any better at providing emergency service, those things are morale killers. So it's, it's hey, we, we give great training as a blanket statement is not always a good thing, but it seems like you guys found the right recipe. Yeah, like the training you're providing is focusing on the, on the true mission. Yeah. Well, sure. We, we just started something we call a training season. And uh, what we do is we basically, we have a spring training and we tie it into baseball where our senior guys do a lot of technique training. So they spend a month really focusing on technique. And then for the next next six or seven months, the companies do um, company-level training, and they work on technique, tasks, and tactics. And then they come together in the fall, and it's kind of like our playoffs, and we do multi-company drills to assure that multi-company coordination. So, so we have some kind of training going on every day. Now, we don't have a training officer, one of our battalion chiefs, fills that role but our guys train um, every day they're either training together or they're in the house doing engine and company uh, uh, task and then um, we send our guys all over a matter of fact we have um, two guys right now that are at the high performance handline class in Pensacola we send guys to um, FDIC to uh, I mean we send them all over and uh, we try to get that blend and then of course they come back and and we expect them to uh put on a program uh, about what they learn. So, so we're always doing something. We have a, a we call it the yard. That's our training facility. We, we, it's not big enough to call it really a training facility, but it's where we focus on the basics. And, and, and our whole organization is really big about mastering the basics. And my expectation is for the fire companies to be prepared mentally, physically, mechanically, and procedurally. So that really takes the priority over our day other than making calls. And we've kind of created a learning culture where the guys have taken ownership of it. And now a lot of, well, almost all the training is just self-initiated. we got companies that are sometimes doing two or three different things a day because they realize their success depends on it. It's, it's not that they have to train. It's that they want to train. And when you get to that point, just some really neat things happen. And uh, like I say, every day is a training day in the colony, but we say quality training. It's not quantity. You know, I, I'm happy when... When the guys sit down and do 30 minutes of 
of really good training at the kitchen table versus going out for two hours and pulling hose just to pull hose. Uh, we want to make sure that it's quality and content, not just quantity. I'm going to bring up Garrett Rice again real quick, but, you know, we saw that video of him throwing the 35-foot solo. Awesome. awesome, man. That's what you want. I mean, you don't really need a chief to do much in gear, but if they get in gear and do anything, I mean, I just think, like, you, you've got me. Yeah, if you're, a chi- if you're a chief and you want to create some buy-in, come to a training, put your stuff on, including your pack, and move a little hose. You know, like, it, it's going to take you a few hours of your time, and you can read all the leadership books you want. You can put together all the memos you want, but that right there is what will get guys. I mean, we were at a training uh, not too long ago, and our battalion chief went through the maze. And it was interesting to stand around and watch how many guys pulled out their phones. It's the least amount of, honestly, the least amount of overall effort to get the most amount of buy-in. Right. And it's guaranteed. Guaranteed. So, I mean, I guess I'm just interested, how much do you believe that, you know, a chief that does something like that, you know, how easy it is for them to build buy-in? How important is buy-in, you know? Well, you know, like everything else, we, we have the majority of the guys think it's great and it, it kind of motivates them uh, to get out there and do it and, and try to be the best they can be. But we have a small small group of guys who thinks that's a little bit over the top. So we got to try to manage that. We kind of say we respect the longevity of our senior guys with the passion of our newer guys and we manage that. You know, that was our truck house, so those guys obviously over there are into throwing ladders, and, and they follow Chief Rice's lead. You know, some of our engine companies are, are kind of a little less, uh, and it's a small number, but, yeah, the guys take ownership, it and they get out there, and, and they want to want to do the best that they can, and it's about individual effort. It's not competing one against the other. It's just, you know, well, you're here. Just be the best version of yourself for the people that we protect. With all the training the colony's doing, what would you say the environment is you're trying to create? I have a model that I call the six R's of uh, learning and experience. And the highest level of learning to me is redirection. And that's where everybody in the department understands what we're trying to accomplish. They know, they know what our fire operations are supposed to look like. But more importantly, they recognize when things are going wrong. And then they have the, the courage to, to redirect that. So, we want our guys to have a very clear picture of what success looks like. And, and, you know, a lot of chiefs will kind of say that takes away critical thinking and we create robots. I think just the opposite. So it's almost, you know, I, I call it kind of a dress rehearsal, just like in the theater. We, we separate rehearsal from drilling. You know, drilling is when you're at a little slower pace and you may just have your gloves and helmets on and, and you're focusing on technique, and you have a coach or a mentor right there, and you, and you work through it, and it's deliberate practice. And then we have a rehearsal where it's kind of real speed and reality-based. And so we want to make sure our guys are frequently rehearsed and that they're constantly drilling to maintain that level of, of proficiency. We like to think of ourselves as jack-of-all-trades, right? The ability to for every firefighter to be able to do every task on the fire ground there's a theory that we're just creating Swiss Army knives, right? A bad knife, a bad pair of scissors. We kind of 
subscribe to because we can because of staffing and, and the way our department runs is that we can have dedicated truck companies that are still capable of moves, moving hose, but their specific job capabilities are dedicated to truck work mm-hmm. and the same with engines. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been somewhat of a new implementation for you guys of delineating the engine and trucks. Um, but, you know, it's something that we've known our whole career. So I'm wondering how that, I guess, talk to us about, like, how that goes. Has there been any resistance? Is it, is it something that works well for your, your city? Well, I think it's huge. And, and I understand, you know, our model's always been everybody should be able to do everything. But in the time that I've been in the fire service, it's gotten much more complex. And then you throw in EMS in there. So if you look at the science of learning and deliberate practice and pre-performance rehearsal and mental imagery, I want guys to take ownership of their position for the day. So our truck guys come in and, and they know what they're riding, what they're going to be doing, and they can really start preparing for that career fire at 7 o'clock in the morning. And our engine companies do the same thing. And I personally think that's essential. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of the master of, of few versus the jack of all trades. And we see a progression. I mean, our guys have to earn a spot on the truck and they have to meet the, uh, uh, the standard to be on the truck. And so it's, it's a natural progression, but I think it's essential. And, and uh, you know, we were a Quint department prior to that. And I think anybody in our organization from the newest firefighter, the most senior member will tell you that this model for the colony, uh, our, our three station fixing to be five, works very well. It does seem like with a lot of the change and a lot, you know, being at the forefront of training and trying new things that, uh, you know, within a fire department, we don't like change and we have a lot of traditions. Have you found it difficult to keep those traditions alive you know, because that that's part of morale too. That's part about like feeling connected to the mission and to the department. Uh, you know, it can it can sometimes be affected, you know, by so many new things. So, how have you managed something like that? Have you had any problems with, I guess, uh, you know, members resisting this change, resisting you know new ways? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I think it's just the opposite. I think when the guys are taking the ownership and they're challenging themselves every day and they're out doing that quality training, no, I, I think, it, you know, we brought um, Chief Hayden from FDNY Rescue Battalion. I, I talked with him at FDIC for years. We brought him in. We brought John Ashman in from Louisville. We bring a lot of people in and we send a lot of people out, but we have a very specific response model that we call our fire operation guidelines. So even with the, the new science and, and implement, I think we were one of the first suburban departments probably in the country to implement the science into our fire operating guidelines. We did, did that back in, in 2013. So this stuff is enhancing what we're doing. It's not recreating it. We modify when we have to. All our, our fire operating guidelines are objective-based, so we either meet the objective or we don't. If we're not meeting the objective, we either have to train differently or modify the the guideline. And it just works very well. And when we send people to, like, Pensacola, uh, nozzle forward, uh, when we send to Brian Brush for for ladder training, they bring that back and they implement it into our system. And it it just seems to 
it seems to just grow and take on almost its own own life. So it's it's the exact opposite of, of complacency. Are you guys doing things different when you hire guys? I mean, when when you're looking for new firefighters, I mean, going back to your whole, I mean, you don't even have a problem with retention. You keep everybody around. Is that a direct result of the, your hiring practices? What are you doing that's that's uh, separating you from other fire departments? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, I use Facebook a lot, and we've had a lot of people come to the colony and apply because of Facebook. And 82% of our people have come from other fire departments. Very few of ours come right out of the academy. So, yeah, we look for um, guys that, that embrace our culture. And it's interesting. One of the questions that we ask is about risk and risk acceptance. And we found out that three out of every 10 people that we interview say that they're not willing to take risks to save a life. Now, think about that a minute. If I'm the fire chief and I know that, I know that somebody has said, no, I'm, I'm not going to take that level of risk, and I allow them onto the fire department and my citizens find out about that, how in the world do I justify that? So we have a very clear, um, we call it our um, professional standards and vision of success, which outlines what the colony fire department is, our core values, our mission, our purpose, how we do things. And it, it attracts people. Uh, it, it's it's almost kind of hard to really put your finger on it, but we have people come from bigger departments that make more runs, and like I say, they'll take a cut in pay and even a cut in seniority just because they, they want to be part of this this model. You know, They have a vision of, of what the fire service looks like, and we just seem to meet that, and it, it's, it's kind of crazy. Okay, on that same note, like, what do you feel a citizen truly expects of their fire department? Because we always hear, you know, they expect professionalism and they, you know, a lot of buzzwords, but I think really they just expect us to show up and be on our A game for the emergencies. Not so much, not so much the, you know, Labor Day boot fundraisers, not so much the, um, community service or showing up at birthday parties or schools that that's cool uh, but I think they just expect that when shit hits a fan we're ready well it's funny I said the research for my book I had another chief challenge me and, and tell me that I wasn't in touch with my community so I went to the HOA the Chamber of Commerce and I literally stood out in front of a Kroger uh, for a month two summers ago and asked our citizens that <laughs> I, you know what do you want from your fire department because I want it to be crystal clear. And, and it's all the things you would expect. They want us there, and they want us there quickly. They want us to show up as professional problem solvers. They want us to be there and solve their problems on their worst day. Uh, they want us to protect their lives and property, and they say property uh, from, from the harm of fire. The business owners want us to protect their investment and their employees' jobs. So it's very clear and out of the colony project, we came up with four things that we focus everything on. And number one is take care of people, them and us. The second thing is manage risks inside and outside the firehouse. The third thing is solve problems with available resources. And the fourth thing is maximize our operational capabilities. So based on what our citizens told us, those are the four things that define success in the colony fire department. Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line is they, the citizens, expect us to 
I mean, be the MVP of a Super Bowl when we show up. I mean, they want that. Uh, but talk a little bit about overall fitness because, you know, it, training is one thing, but there has to be a foundation of fitness. But what is the colony's view on fitness? How do they approach it every day? That's probably the toughest thing that I've had to sell. And we experience the same thing in Louisville. I'm a big supporter in it. Uh, we make sure that's part of the physical preparedness. When I said mental, physical, mechanical, procedural, you know, we, we buy the guys weight equipment. We, we give them time to work out. Uh, we really support that, but I have not been able to get any kind of mandatory fitness standard uh, put in place. Now, I think we're getting some money this year kind of tied into some of our cancer uh, prevention. And uh, we're going to look at, at some of those things, but I would probably say our greatest weakness right now is to fully support the fitness component of the organization. I know our guys want to do a little bit more. We were just able to replace a lot of weight equipment, but our facilities are old and they're not really set up great. Like our oldest station, the workout room is, is in the bay and it's not ideal and it's hot. And so we're trying to address those things, but I, I, I think, it's very important. I think we can make a lot of improvements. Fortunately, we have a young department, and they're self-motivated to get out there and, and, uh, and do their cardio and their strength and, and, and all the things. Um, but we can do a little better in that. But I support it 100%. I'm just having a hard time really uh, selling some of the things that I'd like to do because we're growing so fast. Do you think as you know the colony grows and becomes a bigger department, that it's going to be hard to maintain this culture and these high standards? That's a great question, and sustainability is my biggest concern. I mean, I know at some point somebody's going to leave and go to another department. I don't know when that is, but it's going to happen. One of the things that we just did that's very unique in our part of the country is we created a paramedic-only position, and that was to tap into a bigger pool of candidates. So we are now we're getting ready to hire 18 paramedics. We're not going to make them go to fire school. We want them to own our ambulances. And um, we're hoping that's going to draw in some of the, the firefighters that aren't as crazy about being on the ambulance. And because we're competing, and, and my great challenge right now is I've got to hire 30 people for two stations in the next two years. And if we didn't do this paramedic only thing, there's no way we, we could get the people. There's, it's just there's not enough out there. So sustainability is probably one of the things that I, I spend a lot of time right now thinking about to answer your question. And I don't know how that's going to look. All I can do is, is identify the things that are bringing us success and support those and encourage those and hope that, that we can stay on course. So dive into your leadership journey. I mean, let's circle back to that. Um, I know you talked about kind of how you ended up at Colony, but, you know, mentorship is huge in the fire service and, with what you've done at the colony and your views and perspectives. I mean, it's something that Craig and I, you know, we, we would be ecstatic if we had a chief like that. Um, but I mean, you had to have help from others, you know, talk about like your leadership journey and, and mentors who helped you along the way. I've had some great role models. Um, uh, Bill Peterson was in Plano. You know, he was big on the 1500 committee when that all started. Uh, I got to work for Bill Strickland, uh, who was an L.A. operations chief when he came to Arlington. Of course, Rick Lasky uh, in, in Louisville was my chief there, and he supported training. My uh, city manager in, in Lake Cities was uh, 
brigadier general in the Marines, and he was the CO at, at Pendleton. And I have a heavy Brunacini influence. I mean, Brunacini influenced me starting in the 80s, uh, right up until the time that he died. So, yeah, uh, both my sons were in the fire service. I, I get a lot of, um, of motivation uh, from them, seeing their side of the job. One's in Arlington and one's in Dallas. And, and so I get to see their perspective. So, I've, yeah, I've had some great role models. But, you know, I think what a lot of fire chiefs really don't do, they don't take the time to say, hey, what does fire service success really look like? And they don't create a vision that they can communicate. Uh, I think I try to do that every day to keep our guys engaged. I mean, we don't fight a ton of fire. So a lot of our stuff is that training. And, and every day I try to inject some of that vision of this, this suburban fire service success though, so that as an organization we stay focused. And, and I also try to have all three shifts be very similar in how we come off the trucks and, and you know that's kind of a challenge so all that stuff kind of plays into it and we know you've spent some time uh you know preparing books and being an author you've written a lot of articles you've been on a lot of podcasts but you recently released uh, a book you authored called the functional fire company can you talk about that and like what made you what made you write it everything we talked about when i came to the colony this is this is kind of a laboratory i, I kind of had this vision for a suburban fire department based on my role models, my mentor, and my previous experience. And I wanted to see if it could become a reality. And so the book really is a journal about that. It talks about, you know, the culture and the subcultures. It talks about our approach to training. I break out effective supervision versus courageous leadership. I have a chapter on risk management versus safety. I have a whole philosophy that, that we really need to focus more on, on identifying and managing risk than just saying, be safe. And the title of the book is called The Functional Fire Company, uh, Positioning Small Groups for Success and Survival. And the whole thing is really a guide for fire chiefs and company officers to get us on the same page to provide an environment of success and survival for the fire company. And, and, and I, you know, that comes again, right from our citizens to make sure that our fire companies, the backbone of our organization have the things that they need to succeed and survive. And, and uh, the, the whole thing is about getting there. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, as, as a chief, uh, especially on big fire scenes and maybe even just as managing a department as a whole, how you balance managing risk, but also, you know, the safety of the members and not, you know, pushing safety as the only way, which then can sometimes lead to all out inaction. Well, yeah, there, there's a, another great podcast out there. And I think Mike Rowe put it in words, what I've always been thinking. He was had an interview with, with Tucker Carlson and he talks about safety third. And if you think about it, safety has kind of become white noise in the fire service. We say be safe, but we don't do a good job of really explaining what that is. I mean, how do you how do you teach a firefighter to be safe while they're vertical venting or do an aggressive search or vent enter search or, 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 you know, attacking the fire? It's impossible. Now, we can do that safer. We can make it less dangerous, but it's never going to be safe. So let's stop saying it's safe. Let's focus on aggressively recognizing risks and then managing those risks. And that way we can teach our company officers and our firefighters the difference between sensible, acceptable aggression and reckless, unsensible aggression. And I think when you package it like that, 
you can maintain a more aggressive posture on the fire ground. I mean, let's face it right now, the fire service is really struggling. Our mission, on our level of aggression, is it more about us or more about them? And in the colony, we made that perfectly clear. You know, we're, we're there for them, and there's no question about it. So risk management is how we make that happen. That's how we teach our decision makers to adjust their level of aggression. And, and we tie it into operational capabilities and limitations. When we're within our capability, we're, we're at full speed. When we recognize we're going into a limitation, we have to tap the brakes and make an operational adjustment and get back within our capabilities. And that's something we can teach our guys. But to teach them to safe, safely vertical vent is, is just, I don't know how you do that. Well, again, thanks for coming on. We had a great time. Thank you guys for having me on. And, and I guess I would just, you know, put out a plea to anybody listening is, is we really need to figure out where we go from here. Uh, I'm really concerned that we're going to lose our identity and that the mission is going to get so diluted that, that our citizens are, are, are going to look at us differently. And I think we really need to protect that. And that doesn't mean ignoring firefighter safety and welfare. I mean, I take very good care of my firefighters and invest in them, but we still got to remember why we're here, and, and we got to get past this whole us versus them thing, or, or we're going to look totally different. And I, I hope the book will really protect that and give people some options to do that. <laughs>